All right, welcome back in another edition of the Damn Podcast. Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. And it is finally here. we got game week. The Beavers heading to Fort Collins to open a new stadium against Colorado State. Some believe Colorado State is a favorite to potentially win the Mountain West Conference this year in college football. They've had back-to-back seven-win seasons. And Angie, uh, first of all, I'm pumped that football is finally back because anytime I see the kickoff and you feel the electricity whether in person or on tv it gets your juices going but we finally get to find out year three gary anderson where they're at as a program oh i mean and that's what we've talked about now every week for the past three weeks we have all these we still have the questions and i i guess that's kind of what's still lingering in my mind is you know how good can this offensive line be how good can jake luton be with his receivers and and can the beavers you know get any pressure on the quarterback and stop the run yeah i know i think those are all incredibly valid questions to be wondering maybe even the secondary considering they're going against a team that loves to pass nick yeah. stevens is the quarterback for colorado state <clears throat> and he's returning their wide receivers are returning um so it's going to be a huge test there it just really and two great running backs yeah yeah, well, exactly. You know, yeah, I mean, they're, they're stacked at the skill positions. Um, so we're going to get in all that today. We've also got Yogi Roth is going to hop on the phone with us, and he's going to talk, you know, maybe we'll go Pac-12 football, mix in Oregon State, obviously, just get his thoughts in general um, and talk to Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network. So we're pretty excited to welcome him on onto the this week's edition of the damn podcast. Where do you want to start? Uh, they released the two deep. Do you want to just go with feelings of what this week could mean for Oregon State fan? You Let's- told me that there's a lot of chatter on BeaverBlitz.com about just fans and feelings of starting a season 1-0 and versus 0-1. Yeah, you know, we can start there. Just That has. That has been like kind of the overriding theme, I guess, this week on, on Blitz is, okay, so if, Brandon, I'll ask you this. Okay. If Oregon State loses to Colorado State, does is that hurt their bowl chances completely? I mean, are you done? I mean, is no. it the season over? No, I think I think if you if you believe that the season's done and that's your feeling, if they lose to Colorado State, I get the devastation feeling. I get the down, like oh my god, again feeling because they're a more talented team. They just they simply are. I don't care what Vegas says. They are a better football team than Colorado State. But in terms of making a bowl and saying we're done, we're cooked, that's the first game of the year. What if they turn around? They're going to kill Portland State. And then what if they beat Minnesota at home at Reeser? Now they're 2-1 and one in the non. Their start in the Pac-12 is not easy with Wazoo, Washington, and, and uh, USC. USC. That's not easy. But after that, it starts to kind of work itself out a little bit. I'm not going to say that they're cooked if they don't start 1-0 against Colorado State. I think doing that, you're overreacting a little bit. It's, it hurts. But there's no way I think they're cooked after that. But how cool would it be? Now, now this is the optimist side of me. To start 0-1? To, not cool at all. No, no, no. To start <laughs> 1-0 and potentially start 4-0. I mean, what would that buzz be like in oh Corvallis when the Huskies come to town? Well, he, let me tell you something funny. So we, we threw this on, on my radio show. And and my co-host is, is a Duck alum, but you know he roots for Gary Anderson and the Beavs unless they're playing Oregon. And he like shot down a nine-win season emphatically zero percent chance he's like there's no way that happens right and i tend to be close to it there's yeah. not a high oh, yeah. percentage but I, I threw this at him like who saw 2000 and what was that 12 coming yeah right where they started sixth in the country and like nobody saw the nine win yeah. season coming that year cody vass stepping in and replace yeah. a manion like just that whole, the whole the way the whole season shaped up you get blindsided to have a 4-0 start 
Um, I don't think it's impossible. I really don't. In fact, spoiler alert, I have them starting the year 3-0. and I think they're going to beat Colorado State. I laid a hundo on that game. I think they're going to murder Portland State. And you get Minnesota to come to your stadium. You were close against them last year. A night game. Night game. P.J. Fleck is a great coach. But a new system. But, it, yeah, exactly. It's a new regime, and I think you can you can win that game. So I don't know if 4-0 will happen, but I think they can be 3-0. and And even if you start 3-0, and before the tough Pac-12 gauntlet, I think that in itself builds a lot of buzz. And that was, and that just helps on recruiting. Huge. Yeah, didn't you say, what, Minnesota is a huge recruiting weekend Minnesota for them, Minnesota is right? a huge recruiting, and as is Washington and then Colorado. So those three, those early season games are going to be big. And you can Corvallis. win two of those three. I don't think they beat Washington, but I think you can win two of those three. Yeah, Washington's going to be tough. But, yeah. you know, the buzz coming into that game could be huge. You know, if you're 4-1 and one coming into Washington... Well, I mean, or, I'm sorry, three and one. Three and one, yeah, yeah. What, what, it'd be four and zero, oh, maybe. Four and zero, oh. unless four you were oh. three and one to to Washington State. I I don't get. You'd have to help me with this. So some of the the people on Blitz they interact with me on Twitter, uh-huh. and you know that's kind of the fun part about doing this podcast. I don't get the people that say that it's done. I, Where yeah. does that come from? I, I guess I just think that there's no way that you know that's a defeatist mentality, it is. isn't it? And okay, so off the air we talked about this a little bit, though. Okay, because I I went on and this was early in the week. This was Sunday. I wrote this, but you know we do an Ask the Expert feature every week with the opponent, the scout publisher for the opponent. So yeah, I went on with Ryan Kraus of the Inside the Rams. We exchanged questions. We each answered those questions, and one of the questions is my prediction. And I went with Vegas at the time. I think it was three and a half, but I said Colorado State would win by three. That was, and I I do I I'm going back and forth on this, but I there's too many questions that I still have, and then is part of that though my defeatist mentality of the Riley years when Oregon State would lose to these games that they weren't supposed to lose. Mm-hmm. Is this my, is this defense mechanism mode coming up for Beaver fan? Because off the air you were talking, you know, you're like Gary Anderson, he he won't let that happen. It's well, a different yeah, mentality. I think that's the the dynamic that. Uh, plagues kind of two different fans there of both want to see success and you want to see them get to a a great level but you stop yourself some stop themselves like you do a little bit and I think part of that is I don't know maybe it's Riley maybe it's winning six in two years I don't know what it is really where mentally people go there I understand it but I can't go there because I just I believe in Gary Anderson Mm -hmm. Um, that sounds so corny I get that it sounds so cliche but I buy into what he sells I I can't wait to ask Yogi Roth his thoughts on Gary Anderson oh yeah well uh, yeah one of us is for sure got to ask him about that because I I get into this with people on our radio show like people tell me who cares Anderson's overrated he's won six games and I'm like have some freaking perspective here for a second and what the guy has accomplished in his career and choosing to come to Corvallis. Nobody would have won year one. And realistically, I don't know if Nick Saban or Urban Meyer would have won year two at Oregon State. You have to build a program up. You don't just build it overnight. Some coaches luck into that system. He chose a rebuilding project. So to me... I just I, my trust with Gary Anderson in year three and his tone, his manner, his he seems pretty confident. There's just yeah, there's an air there that I think I've caught on in interviews and seeing in videos that leaves me confident that this team will not disappoint the way that most people are accustomed with Oregon State. Yeah, I mean he does have, you know, and we've talked about it in the years past on the podcast that you know he probably could have won a few games, a few more games in year one if he slowly kind of revamp the system instead of he, you mean ste- kept, kept Riley's kept, kept and Riley's slow system played out. and slow played it out he nuked it 
he, you know, he. What blew games it all do up. you think he would have won that year? Because I'm not convinced that would have happened, even with the Riley system. They they, yeah, were, they were a bad they were team. Bad. They were bad. They Seth Collins physical. was their quarterback, <laughs> and I love the kid. He's a great playmaker, but he's not a quarterback. He's not a quarterback. And McMarion wasn't ready. No. So you know, I've heard the Mike thing and. I find that one an interesting little dialogue because I've heard that like if Mike was there, it would have been maybe a win or two more. And I'm I'm just I remember that season. Yeah, because I mean no. his quarterback would have been McMarion most likely. Yeah, no, they wouldn't have yeah. won. I don't think there's a difference. I think they're a two win team that year, and then Mike is suddenly fired. Yeah, or, if not or, fired, or he's like getting a new defensive coordinator and special teams coach. Yeah, a lot of changes are made, or the pressures yeah. put. You know, it's everything changes there. But I don't. I never bought into that. I think one, he made the right call. It's your system, right? Blow it up. Do what you want to do. We didn't do a podcast and go, well, so and so does the podcast this way. Let's do it. No, we do what we want to do and and bring up the topics we want to talk about. If you're gonna fail, fail as yourself. The worst thing you can do is is pretend. I think the coach that used to coach the team down south, that's why he got fired. He didn't he wasn't himself. He He pretended to be the guy before him. And that is the worst possible thing you could do. Exactly. And then so, you know, a transition a little bit here, just speaking of that, is now looking at the two deep. Have you have you had a chance to look at I the I looked two at deep? the two I memorized it. I know for the most of the positions who's Not where. Huge surprises. I mean, I am going through it right now. Morris second there on the uh, the safety chart. Yeah. No. Over Hudson, right? More yeah, well David it's Morris. it's or. It's it's a David Morris or Austin Hudson. Still surprising to see yeah. David Morris is popping up as potentially a guy going to get uh, even more Snaps and maybe we thought. And then Artavis Pierce or Thomas Tyner is yeah. the, so that's, I mean, I not, think surprising. that's not surprising. Um, I, you know, we talked about this last week on the pod. Um, the switch there with right guard and right tackle with Trent Moore and Fred Lewina. Mm-hmm. So they flipped. Another interesting thing is you have a couple walk ons and JC guys as your number two on the depth chart at O line. So you have Clay Cardasco, yeah, number two left tackle. He is a new JC guy. Naus, Kale Bownum, a walk-on from, uh, I believe, Gresham, or up in that area, Centennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yanni's back is backup center. Cami Delp, highly rated recruit, is your backup at right guard. Yeah. And then Kali'i Montabon is uh, the JC, that kind of the late signing. So that's, you know, pretty bold when you have guys that have been with the system now for, for several years that aren't uh, cracking that too deep. Can we be really honest for a second here? I'm um, always really honest. <laughs> well, I know, but... The two deep I like, I looked at that offensive line, I just stared at it for five minutes, and I just kept going. I kept going back and forth. I did a little bit of the defeatist thing. Not that like the end is near and they're not going to be good. I was just like, God, don't be as bad as they were to start last year. Please don't let Jake Luton take a million hits like Daryl Garrettson did against the Gophers. I don't know what to expect, and there's an unnerving excitement scared of my life feeling connected with that like just you're from on the a top of the roller coaster like waiting <laughs> yeah but you hear going to the roller coaster your seatbelt's a yeah, little loose yeah, and it's like, like and you're like oh my gosh is it loose or is that just the bottom you don't know what to expect and the offensive line thing I, we did it scares almost, me yeah we did a whole podcast yeah, on it, it. Yeah. and i still i have to admit i'm still there yeah I don't and know what to think. Peter Peter Riley Osborne does a lot, uh, you know, of the he played offensive line. He knows it, the college game and you know, it scares him too. That's yeah, oh my god. I, I just I can see this going two ways. <laughs> I can see this going the way of Nall and Pierce and Tyner 
find success and Luton gets enough pass protection. He's a big dude anyway. You can see over those guys to where he's okay. They have him, you know, throw the ball quickly versus holding on to it and then taking a huge hit. I can also see going the other way of, well, we're going to play musical chairs with our offensive linemen now. Hey, Cammy Dell, play left tackle. Let's see what you got. Huh? Madaban, let's put you out there. I just But you don't want to be doing that. No, you know, but that's, that's my it, fear. Is that's know, what happens. I know. I know. I that is that is, you know, honestly, that is probably my biggest fear of this whole team. The whole it has to be the whole team, yeah. Because your front seven is your your two trusted groups more yeah. than any other um because of the experience. And nothing happens on offense if you don't have a line. No, I mean, look at Gerritsen. Yeah. It it ruined, his, it ruined season. his season. I mean, not to, you know, part of that is to blame for himself. He went out there and he chose to play probably banged up and hurt, but a lot could be made for an argument that uh, him taking all them licks and he just, he wasn't right after that. He got quick feed and he didn't trust it. And look, they found it the last three games of the year, but man, I just, that's got to be your biggest concern. It's biggest concern. And know? then, you know, just a little tidbit that kind of, that struck me was when you look at specialists and, and the specialists don't get a lot of love. No, they do not. Um, but kickoffs, they have a uh, walk on Zach Standish. And so shout out to Zach because I know his family, they're long line of Beaver fans. Zach Standish mm-hmm. from the Portland area. How about that? Is the right now number one okay. kickoff guy. Yes. Kickoff returns. Calvin Tyler. Calvin Tyler and Art Pierce. Yes. You like that? I like Calvin Tyler. Art Pierce, hey, if you find your role and that's what you end up being great at, okay, but I like you putting a freshman back there with the speed. Hold on to the ball. Please do not be the freshman that fumbles, but uh, yeah, give the kid a shot. He's got, he's supposed to have good speed and good awareness. Let him him go back there. And then, yeah, I mean, talk a little bit of safety. So David Morris, true freshman out of uh, Sherwood. Way to go, Sherwood. No surprise, more no. ahead of him. Uh, Kessie Ahoy, another true freshman, uh, number two at inside linebacker. Uh, Key Wetzel will be getting the start, I believe, at outside. Uh, Bright still hasn't been going this week, so I believe Key is going to be going, mm-hmm. uh, redshirt freshman. Um, and then I had a couple. Tino Allen will be playing. Yeah, you mentioned Tino Allen. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of freshmen that we'll be seeing. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins, obviously, number one uh, at wide receiver, but... Uh, overall, no big surprises, especially if Bradford you've over Hawkins. Uh, Hawkins, I Hawk- should say. Yeah, Bra- uh, yeah, Bradford at the slot. Yeah, at slot. Um, mm-hmm. And then Bradford also on punt returns. Yeah, with uh, Timmy Hernandez. Yeah, so and, and those no huge sense. surprises. Um, I do, and the other inside linebacker on Jay Hughes Murray. So you, know, you have him and Nase, and then Wesley Payne is it's on Jay Hughes Murray or Wesley Payne. Yeah, I, I you know Andre looked good early, but uh, Wesley has come on. So watch for him as well. There is no preference to me at any of those it, it whoever they want to yeah. put in there i'm fine i trust i just trust the front seven yeah. i really do um the three down the four and up Clune. i mean he, that guy kind of intimidates me but really he knows his football so, and it's so fun to talk to him so this is funny so uh we're taping this on a, a wednesday i just talked to him today on our radio show uh-huh. and i love talking to him last time so i was like we got to get him back on for game week because gary anderson goes on with isaac and souk and so we bring him on and he kind of has that like you better ask good questions. You know, he doesn't <laughs> yeah, want to be yeah. wasted no, with... No, no wasting time. How do you view... He's like, no, get to the question, yeah. right? But he's a good artist. And don't ask him what kind of cocktail he likes. Uh, no, I learned that the hard Only way. Only ask him about surfing. I brought up surfing, actually. Um, was Kelly Slater his favorite? 
No. He's actually, he's like, don't be mistaken. I like to surf. I don't know anything about surfing, nor am I good. I said, well, hey, that's kind of how I am with golf. Um, but he was fun to talk to in the sense of feeling out with the defense. You can tell he's giddy about seeing yeah. his defensive line. And he and loves the linebackers. He loves the linebackers. He didn't. He's not really as worried about the secondaries. I think maybe fans are just from the fact of most of those guys, albeit young, got experience last year. And that's going to be really important. Uh, I'm still, because Tristan Deku was so damn good, I'm still worried how you replace that, but we'll find out. The one thing that I took away, a tidbit, is he didn't want to get into detail, but if you're banking on Craig Evans, the number five JCDT, don't. Officially ruled out in your mind. I don't expect him to play for Oregon State at all, based on what Kevin Clune told me today. He was like... He said it was none of his business. He then proceeded to say, that kid's got injuries and academics. You know, I just I moved on. It's like, okay, Craig Evans is probably never going to play for Oregon State. So just a heads up yeah, on that one. Yeah, just don't don't be uh, keeping, having sleepless nights over that he one. He also mis- he, uh, corrected me on my Polynesian name, the Who'd way you? I said him. Okay. I, I, I'm terrible with those names. I think you've figured this out doing the podcast. But I, I tried to say... Uh, Vaca Malalo. Vaca Malalo. See, and he said it, I think, that way. And I said another name wrong, and the name is escaping me now, but I said two names wrong. And he goes, Well, first of all, we need to work on your Polynesian name accent uh, pronunciation because you're terrible at that. And then he said, I said, How do you say it? And he said it, and he goes, and he slapped me. He goes, Actually, I'm not even sure if I ever say it right. So it was fun to talk to Kevin Clune. He's fired up. As but he does—he does seem excited about his defense. He's pumped about his defense. Yeah. Don't rely on Craig Evans coming back. Yeah, no, I and I, it's my. So I said my big concern then is just O line. That's that's what I want to see on Saturday. Is there anything that's close to it? Uh, the passing game. Yeah, you know, I the I'm receivers not, or the quarterback. Well, both. Okay. But um, I, I'm going with receivers. Me too. Because I, it's a, it's actually a closer second than I'm willing yeah, to admit. No, yeah, me too. But I, but I don't worry about the receivers as much when you have Togiai back because that guy's money. I agree. I I tweeted out during Minnesota when he caught the first touch and I said this is going to be no. the sleeper biggest Togiai, guy seriously, of the season. Um, hands, he's money. Um, Jordan Villeman. I love Billy. I think he's an amazing kid. He's a great guy. I yeah, just, yeah, you don't have preference. Yeah, we know he's I, a good kid. I, I, I just, I want to see it. And I haven't seen it. I haven't, yeah. you know, practiced. Have they, I, what have they felt about him in practice? You know, we're talking about practice. I know. Practice. But it can stand but, out for people. you know, I, the pra- I have not been to all of them, and we get a very limited window. And yeah. so these coaches know more than I do. But, you know, there's been practices that I see him go 110%, and there's others that I don't. So, you know, and the, the portion. So I, I want to see Billy succeed this year. Um, you know, you have a true freshman. And him and Luton have actually gotten some good chemistry. I, really? I can say that. He's got good um, size, too. Good size. He's not burner speed, so mm-hmm. he's not going to like wow you with crazy speed. He's still learning his blocks and such, but you know he can make big catches. Um, Trevon, you know, Coach Anderson, we had, we had a feature today on Trevon uh, that Amy Schwartz did, and you know, Coach Anderson raved about him and how much he's grown up both on and off the field. And this is his opportunity, you know, with, with Seth out to go out and make some plays. But yeah. um, it, it worries me a little bit there. But when you have the running backs that can catch out of the backfield and Togiai, you just you lose that big deep threat. And that's where a Villeman or a Hodgins could be huge. What in the in the way that they're gonna address the the passing game and I, I think I said this a week or two ago when we had Phillips on um, yeah, he mentioned tempo is going to be the biggest thing you notice. Is there something that you think is going to surprise people that we see? 
I, I, and I said this, I think, last week or the week before, when you talk tempo, you're going to see two quarterbacks. You're going to like see... Like at one time, or... <laughs> Jake Luton and Daryl Garrett are both going to line up. Luton will line up as a yeah. receiver. So, um, no, you will see two quarterbacks, in my opinion, and you'll see... Now, not that Luton is way? doing... Luton's not doing any kind of, like, huddle, but it's a slower tempo. And when, Be- when the Beavers want to go... I mean, when I saw them do their up-tempo with Garrettson in, it was reminiscent of, like, Chip Kelly up-tempo. It was fast. Mm-hmm. Like, quick. So I, I'm just I'm throwing it out there, you know. You guys to can not question be if you question see, my sources yeah. all you want, but I do think we see that. So don't be shocked if you are a damn podcast listener or a Beaverlet subscriber, it won't shock you, and you won't all be right. like, "What the heck I'm gonna, is going I'm gonna, on?" I'm going to speak for a decent number of of listeners out there. I don't. I, I can't know you're, speak a, for all. you're not a fan. I hate it. I know you don't play two quarterbacks. Stick with the guy that's your starter and figure your system out with him. Yeah. I hate it. It just I, so. Hopefully, I'm wrong. But this is that's my bold prediction. I you're hope you're see. wrong. No offense. Yeah. I hope you're wrong. Um, and I trust again. I trust Gary Anderson, but I don't want to see two quarterbacks. I can't envision that actually working. When Garrettson comes in, defenses are going to instantly read. Yeah. Oh, it's it's not going to be no, it's not going to be any different than that stupid game Riley had when they went to Wisconsin, and he thought playing Ryan Katz Cat. and Sean Mannion every other play was <laughs> yeah. smart. Like, no, tips. When Ryan Katz comes in, he runs. Yeah, exactly. We figured that out rather quickly. <laughs> and then he figured that they figured it out, and he went with Sean Mannion the rest of the way. So I, I think it's going to be the same thing. I got a question for you. This was a, a topic on Blitz, too, this week, and it's been fun. What is your first offensive play for Oregon State? What do you do? Uh, I, I think if you're going... Is it me or am I pretending to be Gary Anderson? You're pretending to be Gary Anderson. You're running the ball right down their freaking really? throat. Really? Even oh, though they're yeah. going to stack the box and expect that? I don't care. I, I I'm said establishing I, a tempo. I see that's been popular. I say you fake. You're going to play action deep. I aren't play you? A, no, not deep. I'm oh. going to Togi. He's my man. Oh wow. Noah Togi. What about getting the ball to a guy like Hodgins? Get his confidence going early in the juices because he's going to be nervous when he steps on that field. I just the passing. You know, a new quarterback, big loud stadium. How bad would that be if he throws a pick or something going well, deep? I don't like know, that idea. Maybe you line him up closer to the line of scrimmage. And cl- I mean, not closer to the line of scrimmage. Closer to the offensive line. Quick little slant for four yards. I like Togi. A la Togi type yeah, pass. I like Togi though. Okay. Yeah. No. I I think Gary Anderson's gonna he's gonna say he's gonna just, send a message. <laughs> just go Ryan all. Ram the Rams. There you go. Okay. Um, let's talk about them real quick before we get to yes. the damn questions yes. and then we get to Yogi Roth. Um, Colorado State is a team that I think is a good program. They've built that program up from the Jim McElwain era, but I'm sorry, I- I'm anti-Vegas thought on this. I get the whole, they're building a stadium, and they're going to be excited. Well, duh, they'd be excited even if they didn't build a stadium. This is their Super Bowl. They're playing a Pac-12 opponent. I I, I think Oregon State is clearly the better team here. Um, I might be way overlooking Colorado State in that regard, but I just I don't buy what people are selling me on Colorado State. Their defense is terrible, and I, they don't have the talent that Oregon State does. You know, and I like I said earlier, I picked, you know, earlier in the week I picked Beavers to lose. But I think, I mean, my basis on that was just on the offense. And the, the more we get into this week, the more confident I'm feeling about Oregon State's defense. So that's, that's you know, it's, I think it's close. I do think it's close, but you're right. I think Oregon State has better athletes. But, again, here's Beaver fan coming out, you know, yeah. we've seen when better athletes don't necessarily always. Well, I mean, Colorado State has good running backs, but they also have a pretty good passing game. Yes, yes. If, if the passing game is succeeding, we're not, not we. It's, it's Gillette, right? The the receiver that's. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I'm saying if, if Stevens, their quarterback, is having success passing, 
they're not doing their job on the front seven. They're not getting the quarterback pressures. They're not getting after that 30 sacks, 30 turnovers type. They're not having one of those days, and that's a cause for concern. But so, I like this game being the first game because it gives us it gives Oregon State a better test. See, um, I do too. I'd much prefer them play Colorado State than Portland State. Exactly, first. because Portland State, it's you know, hopefully it's a you know the you third can build false later. confidence by exactly. playing weak opponents. So you you play a decent opponent that yeah. hopefully or, you know you should beat, but yet it it gives you a good enough test to actually be able to come home and know what you need to work on. Exactly. So exactly, I feel the same way. Um, we differ. If you, it's okay if you stick with your prediction. By the way, we just differ there. Yeah, I, I, I can't change. I mean, I, I went out and I said that publicly, so I can't. I can't change I can't either. Change, I bet a hundred dollars so. on Oregon State 30. plus three and a half. Nice. So I'll be getting into. And you said it's four now. It's it went yeah. I got Oregon, bet up to okay. four. Um, I'll be funny. I'll be finishing Hood to Coast. I think we're getting into Seaside around eleven, eleven fifteen. Okay. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And like I'm gonna get a medal, and then I'm instantly nice. running to like a bar. <laughs> nice, nice. So there's me and uh, Alex Crawford's gonna be on my team. Okay. Uh, my brother-in-law is gonna go with me. If there's any other Beaver fan out there, seriously, in Se- in, uh, you're Coast. in Seaside. Right. You're doing Hood to Coast. Uh, tweet us, and we'll be going to a local nice. pub somewhere in Seaside and watching the game. I have um, a youth football jamboree that I'll be at on a Saturday morning early. But the three fours, the third and fourth graders start early, so Good. it looks so like we'll be done there, by yes. like eleven, and then zip. Home. Grab your pack. Ads, get your ass in the car. Let's <laughs> go. go. So um, I do know a friend of mine who has a fifth grader, and they're going to be later in the day. And he actually already called me and said, Machado, I don't want any texts. I don't want any calls yep. because I'm turning off my phone. Yes. And then when we're done, I'm going to go home and watch it like it's live. Yeah. So don't And tell then me. you skip over the commercials. And you skip over the commercials. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm pumped. I bet you can tell listening to this how jacked I am. I probably sound like I'm drinking a million Red Bulls. I, I don't know. You sound like you always do, but oh, okay. Well, I feel like I'm a little more energized. Okay, just I am of too because we're finally getting. So uh, let's do a couple questions. Can let's we do, do a some damn, damn questions. questions. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, we have enough time before. Yeah, Yogi will call, call in in just um, a few minutes. Okay, so, yeah, we have so we've time. got a couple here. Um, Bill Matthews on Twitter asks us how long will Collins be out, um, and then um, any chance we see Tyner returning punts and kickoffs. Uh, I don't know the Collins timetable. I'm not a beat guy, so yeah, this is Collins, just a gut. That I mean, I've heard any. You know, I've heard three weeks mentioned. You know, it, it's a finger. It just depends. I I'd originally heard thumb, and I think thumb could be tougher just for a receiver. Catching a ball, yeah, I mean that's so a vital I, part. So I think it's, it's it is a finger, um, but I don't know. I can't. I'm not a doctor, and Anderson will not discuss that. And so. what was the second part? Um, any chance we see Tyner returning punts or kickoffs? It doesn't sound like it, no. Yeah, but you never you never know. Gary likes to play some games. Did he do shit. anything at Oregon that made you think that he was good in that no. department? Because I, I never looked at him and said, you're a good special teams guy. I, I like they him love, as a they running They like back. Calvin. They like Calvin Tyler, so I think that's... And it's a way to also, if you don't want to register a talent, you think he can contribute, it's a way to use two. Yes. Tyler still has a role, and then if an injury happens, he can step in, and then Tyner still is your second or third option. Yes. Okay, this is actually a really good one. Um, and I apologize if we don't get to your questions, um, but uh, we'll maybe file them away, or we'll, yeah. I'll, I can, we can tweet and answer them. Uh, Wesley Bouchang on Twitter asks, would you rather see Oregon State offense fire on all cylinders and put up a lot of points, or have the defense shut out CSU? Oh my God, that's a would great you rather? Let's question. play a little would you rather. I'm going to go with the one that they sucked with last year. I'm going to go give me the offense lighting okay. them up with the okay. defense figuring it out along See, the way. See, I, I am like, but I, I, I hearken my, back to the days of, you know, the pat down in 2000 and the Beaver defense. So I'm yeah. going defense. But so what if it's 3 nothing? 
Yeah, it's boring. But do you know how bad Colorado State's <laughs> defense should be this year? Then, then you're going back to the drawing board on offense, and you're like, I know, but aren't we? That's isn't true. that our biggest concern you're right, right now? You're right. Offense is okay. You changed my mind, but I love. <laughs> An no, awesome I defense. get, I get that. I love it too. That fires me up. Yes, the okay. the hard hitting. You can just tell me. I'm just like yeah. the shimmy, the pat down. Yes, Darnell Robinson. You yes, know, all that. I'm all about that too. But I want to see them light the scoreboard on fire. Okay, there you go. Show me Luton looking good too. Okay, okay. And I was gonna go on Blitz and find a question, but my um, the Wi-Fi here in the studio is not. Oh, I didn't great. give you the Wi-Fi password, did yeah. I? Yeah, so it's not Wi-Fi. It's my 4G. Oh, I'm um, sorry. But um, let's see. Here we go. Um, Daniel Devaney, what are the biggest concerns with Colorado State? Um, Just their passing game? Yeah, it's, kind it's of probably – it's yeah, we kind of address that. I think it's their quarterback. Uh, their quarterback built some real confidence last year as a starter, and he's back. Yeah, he was and, really like lights out that end of the season. And any time I think you go against an experienced quarterback, you should always be nervous. So they got really good playmakers on the outside in the backfield – to me, it's their quarterback. It, they go where their quarterback takes them. And then we had a bunch of questions and people wanting us to comment on the Ducks. We don't go there. What do you mean? Just wanting us, you know, does Oregon even have a football team anymore? And Really? Yeah, there was some. I got caught. I saw one thing. I can't, I don't know who said it, but somebody had said something like Duck fans being childish, childish. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I got caught in that. Like, I, who cares? I don't, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, I tweet about I the Beavers, so are... nobody, um, none of the Duck fans follow me, so I guess I'm. I, I think both sides can be childish, really. Um, and it's just a matter of like what you've experienced, I guess. Don't let social media also cloud your judgment. Yes. I've I've been to a few civil wars in my day, and I don't know. My experience, I've never really ex- had somebody actually in person treat me how they treat other people on Twitter, oh. if you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, people can be ruthless. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, war- I've heard horror stories from both sides. Yeah. I've heard yeah. things spilled on people at Otson, things spilled on people at, at Reeser. We've got the drunk guy, no natty for you. Like, <laughs> there are douchebags on both sides. I really do believe that. I don't think it's exclusively one program. Well, thank you guys for the questions. Beaver Blitz uh, members, I will answer your questions when I get home tonight. I'm, I'm, that's and my that's my bad. fault I, because, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that I my... didn't set you up with the Wi-Fi, so it's really my fault. Don't so. blame Angie. But uh, I will answer those tonight. Okay, good stuff. Um, and now we get to talk to Yogi. I'm super excited. Yeah, he's calling in right now. Do you know what you're going to ask him? I do. I'm all set. All right, now we're going to be joined by Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks. He's joining us now on the uh, the Damn Podcast. Yogi, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's you know finally game week, um, at least week zero, you know, and been hitting all these campuses. So I'm excited to settle into my place and watch film and gear up for some Pac-12 Network football. It's crazy that it's already here. It feels like it flies by so quick. Um, I, I'm curious your thoughts because Oregon State plays in the zero week. Just starting a season August 26th, that early. I'm okay with it, especially since the new rule came where you start camp early. So. Um, yeah, I, I got no problem with it. When I was coaching at SC, we we didn't play that early, but we would play kind of the first game, um, and it was a huge game. Like it would be like Virginia Tech or Arkansas. Like it was just a big kind of like how Bama and Florida State are. But everybody didn't necessarily play that weekend sometimes, and it would be huge. And what was great for us is that it broke up training camp, so you go play, and then you open up your depth chart again the next week, and it's like okay, we got a bye week now, just like you know they do. 
and, and even like uh, you could look at Stanford, for instance. Um, I guess Stanford's probably the better example where they'll have a buy, uh, and you get to kind of recompete at all the spots after watching them in live game action. So I think it's cool. And then for for Oregon State specifically this year, it's amazing because it just sets up their schedule to have you know two breaks. Yeah, as a player, Yogi, I mean, when you looked at that, it does seem to help Oregon State in that now they have kind of four, like a four-game stretch, a break, a four-game or five-game stretch, and then a four-game stretch. As a player and coach, how does that uh, affect you possibly? It's amazing. I mean, it's it's the best gift that you know any team in this conference has this year. If you if you just kind of look at the schedule, um, number one, because you get to kind of break the season into thirds per se. Uh, which I think is really important for student athletes just to kind of get a break. Um, you know, you look at, say, for instance, SC in the Pac-12, they're going 17 straight weeks. You know, that, that's hard for anybody, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I think specifically with, like, finals and all that stuff just kind of plays out, it's great to have a natural break. So for them, number one, that's, that's critical. Coaches are always going to love that break because you just get to – you don't really see your family in training camp, and then you kind of grind here for a couple games, then you get a little break. So at least you get a little bit of – you know, at least a pseudo life uh, for a day or two in the season. So I think that's good uh, for recruiting. It's great for a brand like Oregon State because they'll, knowing Gary, they'll get on the road that whole week where they're off. So they'll be able to make sure their brand in the first year of an early signing period is, you know, pretty hot. I think they got a chance to be three and one or four and zero oh after that stretch. And then more specifically to that next stretch of games, that ain't easy. You know, UW, SC, Colorado. So to get a break after that to reset, um, I think will be great for that program. Yeah. Oregon State has a bye before they even start class. How about that? Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead. So that, that's the way to do it. I mean, I remember um, you know, UCLA a couple of years ago uh, because they're a, cor- or a, a school where it's not semesters or it's quarter systems where, you know, they were playing, I think it was like Stanford, like three or four weeks or years consecutively, week one of class. And, you know, think about that. Like, you're playing a team that's a completely anomaly schematically, the most physical team, and your world just turned upside down as a collegiate student-athlete, you know, on the student side of it. And it's just a lot, and it's just hard. And most teams, we did a study last year, most teams, their first week of uh, classes that our quarter schools don't play very well. Mm-hmm. So I think for, for them, I mean, I don't buy that it's the hardest schedule in the Pac-12. I think UCLA's is. I mean, I get the stretches of it and all that, but and give any any one of these teams, any team in the country, uh, these types of bye weeks. You know, outside of the SEC, which is an embarrassing week ten or eleven, um, I don't think there's anything that a coach would rather have. Well, and I think it's it's such a, a critical year too, year three for Gary Anderson, and the expectation that that him and the coaching staff have kind of set for themselves, and the fans have feed uh, been feeding off of. What do you expect for year three for Gary Anderson and Corvallis? Well, I, I mean, I've been really loud about this one, and it was fun for personally. But you know, we did the drive, the documentary series on the Pac-12 Network, year one of Gary Anderson, mm-hmm. and we were in depth. You know, you're there, you're listening to the mic'd up, you're seeing the evolution of his message, you're seeing where it lands and where it doesn't. You know, then the next year you're seeing, you know, the young players play like last year. You know, pretty much their entire defensive front. I felt like every week I'd be calling a game, or every couple weeks, and there's another freshman who, you know, burned his redshirt. I was like, geez, again, again. Wow, I can't wait for another year because 
wait till these kids get some time in the weight room. And then you add in, obviously, the quarterback and Luden and some skill position players, guys that can really stretch the field and some areas that I think are just necessary to compete in this conference. I expect them to go bowling. I think this is a six to eight win team. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's dramatic. I think that going around the Pac-12, I saw 10 of 12 teams, didn't see Stanford or Cal in training camp. And I would still say that. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with and they got to stay healthy and, you know, they need Seth Collins to come back and all those elements. But I do think that uh, they've got all the tools necessary if what we think will happen actually happens. And that's I think the quarterback will play well. I think the freshman receiver will play well. I think Jordan Villeman will come back to the guy we expect to see. I think they've got real depth on the defensive line. I think they have a true lockdown corner. Like, I think those things will happen. And if they do, then I think they go to a bowl game. So you, you mentioned all the, the stops you made on the, the Pac-12, and I believe that those start running next week. Is that correct, Yogi? Yeah. So next week, every night, we'll be doing a uh, kind of a preseason uh, training camp kind of recap type show. So give, it, give us a story, like favorite, favorite moment from uh, your time on the road this past month. Oh, those are good. I mean, so many of them are really fun because you're with Mike Yam or Ashley Adamson, which is just a blast. Um, but they're catching there's a bunch. I mean, yesterday was really unique because, uh, you know, Ashley Adamson is doing a feature on Mike King Johnson in Arizona, who's the first openly gay, uh, you know, power five defensive football player to come in as a true freshman, in my understanding. You know, so that, to me, is like a historic moment that I'll, that I'll never forget of her preparing for that and talking to her about that. Um, I can remember talking to Mike Leach um, on the field after practice, and we were talking about what's going on in the world because clearly he's a global guy. <laughs> and we talked about how 105 guys in a locker room can disagree on everything and come from different backgrounds, but shrug their shoulders and move on. And that was the day that the attacks in Barcelona happened. And for me, my brother was in Barcelona that day. So it hit me hard. You know, I, I, I think back to Washington on the field and the most impressive thing I think I probably saw from a football team was at the end of practice, they run up to coach Peterson and right before they take a knee, they pause. He says something and they all take a knee in unison. And I was like, of course they would. Like, that's exactly why this program is so detail oriented, you know? So that was awesome. And then, you know, I look at the energy at Oregon with the staff. I look at USC, who I believe is completely legit. And then just yesterday I was at Arizona and they have 63 first year players on that roster, you know? And then for me, the hilarious moment was a Friday night in Colorado. I was there for a scrimmage. I interviewed their punter, Alex Kinney, who has a mullet. And uh, the video went absolutely crazy on social media. And he's like basically Joe Dirt lookalike. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> I saw that. And he took the interview seriously. I was like, "What's the pressure like having to maintain this mullet?" And he's like, "Man, it's, it's not easy." Like, and then I was like, he's, "This is legitimate." It was so funny. So uh, yeah, memories across the board. When you when you do these these tours now, you've been doing it a few years for the Pac-12 Network, and and you call these games and you talk to these coaches, and you know we called you and interrupted your your game prep. You're watching film. Do you still get the coaching bug? Does that is that something you still itch, or is this kind of the perfect separation of you still are around it, but you love doing the media side of things? Great question. I was actually talking um, to Coach Carroll last night about it exactly. Uh, that, wait, this exact so wait, Yogi topic. Roth. Yogi Roth is going back to the NFL. Seahawks <laughs> yeah, yeah, coaching yeah. staff, right? Let's We're breaking go. it. Yeah, break the news. <laughs> but no, we just talked about how like it, it, training camp is is beautiful. I don't know if you guys have read the book uh, Training Camp. It's by a guy named John Gordon, and John uh, he's awesome. Um, just had lunch with him this afternoon, and John is a acclaimed author. You should check it out. He, he, he wrote the Energy Bus, right? 
Yeah, he wrote The Energy yeah. Bus and Great about writer. 20 other books. Yeah. Great writer. And uh, we're just talking about training camp. And training camp, for me, like, you click back into the athlete first. So, like, my workouts are awesome in August. You know, like, I'm sweating. I'm running sprints. Like, things I would never do the rest of the year. But just, like, your body just kind of goes there, right? And then as the coach, when you get on campus and you're around, you know, whether it's Mike McIntyre, who's really vocal, or Jim Mora, who's a true motivator, or Gary Anderson, who's just the ultimate truth-teller guy, you just think about, like, yeah, this would be fun to like, how much fun is it to mold 105 young men to one common purpose where you're so confident, right? And you're Justin Wilcox and you're doing it for the first time. Um, that, that excites you, you know, for sure. But I, I net out at, for me, my greatest joy is on Saturdays when I believe I've got the responsibility to celebrate the game, uh, which I think saves lives. It saved mine and coach the viewer and like my mom about cover two and compete to tell 210 stories or more in a three and a half hour window. I'll never get that many but that's how i look at the game like if i can celebrate it and tell as many of these amazing stories about amateur student athletes um and coach the view on what i think is going to happen and why they're going to do it and truly seek out those answers for me it's the best job in the world because you don't really lose and i get to do it at great venues all year long and when the season's over i get to go bounce off to spain and i don't have to worry about third down cut up so like for me it's really become as a storyteller and a lover of this game uh, a beautiful blend for for my life and, and really a beautiful responsibility and i'll tell you another quick antidote on it you, you should check this out i just did, i'm doing a podcast this year called the season of sam with sam donald and it's basically creating and cultivating a master class for him around people he wants to learn from so our first episode just came out today and it's with trent dilfer who's who we interviewed mm-hmm. and trent told this great story about how he was impacted as an athlete when peyton manning signed his first contract and it was like 48 million dollars and he was a rookie or whatever and a reporter said what are you going to do and he goes i'm going to earn it and that hit me i'm sure it hit sam in a different way but for me i was like i couldn't wait to get home from this training camp tour and go earn it you know and do this prep where i'm going to know north dakota better than anybody in america and call north dakota utah on thursday night to kick up the season because that's what i get the responsibility to do because the pac-12 network hired me and and i think that's a real cool phrase to think about of like i'm gonna go earn it you know and and then you you just go have a blast doing the lonely work and diving in that's awesome. I mean, and then like you talked about kind of back with Mike Leach, just this is a game that like you said it saved you, It, but it's also a game that can take 105 guys from different backgrounds with different beliefs, with different ideologies, and on Saturdays they come, come together and play. One common mission. One yeah. common mission. Yeah. Yeah, it's a transformational power of sport. You know, this summer I went to Israel and did a uh, documentary series called We All Speak Ball on American Football in Israel. And that, to me, was was really heavy and powerful because you've got young men and women. And this is a men's league, women's league. So they have, a, they have like a mom playing quarterback and her daughter's playing linebacker right, in flag. And you have sold-out flag football games and tackle football games in front of 10 people all across the country with the backdrop of Jerusalem at Robert Kraft Stadium. You know, it was just really was cool to rat. see. <laughs> no, nobody was really good, you know, but they just loved it. Yeah. And to do it in the holiest 
this place that's the most conflicted at the same time, to me, was a great reminder about the sport. And we're fortunate because we get to see 65 to 90,000 people every Saturday do it. And I get to talk to, you know, a couple of million or however many you're watching. And what, what, what else could you ask for? You know, I, I just think that sport in this era of the world, of what we're in now, wherever you lean, whatever party line doesn't matter, is the one thing and one of the very few things that I know of, at least, that can pull people together. And I'm going to hang on that for hopefully the rest of my life because that's how I got introduced to the sports. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. You, you know, I, I want to transition then to a little bit of, of what you do know. And, you know, playing a team like Colorado State, who has been pretty solid as a program, Jim McElwain took them to New Heights, and now they've been kind of a seven-win type program. Good challenge for Oregon State. This is the damn podcast. Would Do you prefer, back on your playing experiences and even a coach and now uh, analyst, is it better for a team to have a challenge to start off a season, or is it easier to maybe play what some would regard as a cupcake, maybe an FCS opponent that you know you can beat? Well, I'll tell you this: I believe that um, if you're a first, like if you're a young program, you want the cupcake because you want to get to a bowl game. Like I can remember when Sark took over at UW and they were in Owen. 12, and I think they lost 13 straight or 14 straight before taking the program, and it was like, just get us three wins. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, now you become UW or SC, or you know, you need these non-conference games to help get you to the CFP. Then it's a different discussion. But but overall, for the for the roster of 105 guys, I think that it helps out when you're a team like Oregon State, who's kind of the right in the middle there, as we talked in the beginning of this thing, to have in summer workouts. You know, you're playing a team that, at least from my research, Colorado State is a sleeper to be like in the New Year's Six Bowls. You know, we could talk Boise State all day, but they have a real team. They've got Nick Stevens, who's a real quarterback. It's the first time they played on campus in 50 years and mm-hmm. a sellout with the second largest flag in the United States that's going to be donned out there in pregame. Like, everything is against Oregon State. So I think for them and this team where they are today, it's an advantage. Last year, the year before, I'd say no way. Give them a cupcake. Let's go get a win. Play an FCS opponent that won two games last year and feel good about ourselves as we build the program. But but for them, I think this is great, and they should win. There's not one player on Colorado State that chose Colorado State over Oregon State, in my opinion. Um, it just doesn't really happen. So they have better players, and and I don't. And I, I think Gary Anderson would say the same thing. We should be a better team. Uh, will they be? We'll find out. Can they handle it? We'll find out. But in my eyes, um, and I'm pretty. I try to be strict on this. It's like Wazoo when they lose these non-conference openers. Like you, you can't. You know, like you shouldn't. There's no excuse for that. Um, and I think the same here. It's a tough game, but I think you've got better personnel. And when you turn on the Stanford game from a year ago, or some games where they really played up to their potential or played a physical opponent they they competed and a year later a year older a year wiser i think that they go play in this game and it won't be easy it'll be hard but they should go get a win so yogi talk i mean so oregon state being a long time you know covering this team for a long time they did lose to sac state they did lose to eastern washington so i think beaver fan is is kind of sitting back kind of this maybe a, a doomsday kind of scenario we've had this discussion on beaver blitz a ton over the past week if oregon state somehow loses this game does that ruin their chances for a bowl game uh i don't think so i mean at least i i don't think so i mean look if they don't if they start off one and two then yeah i think it's struggle central you know uh 
I think they got to start off three and zero, just because the Pac-12 so hard. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at at least project their season, and I don't like to predict, especially if I'm going to call some of these games, but they got a great chance to be three and zero. And then I'm excited to see what would happen to a team that would probably receive votes in you know one of the you know one of the rankings and which is a big deal for a program like this how do they go on the road at washington state and deal with that right and then they get the bye and then they have the gauntlet of three games that are going to be really hard for them and then what do they do in the back half of the season so for me like i could see them winning their first three and winning their last four um at least those are if if you were going to kind of lean one way or the other you would say right now they got as good a chances and anybody to win their first three and their last four. Um, That's actually what so I have I, looked at yeah, too. I think they got to get. I think they have to get going. If they lose, they won't, it won't go off the rails by any stretch. Gary's not going to let that happen. But um, it's going to be fun to see where they are re- reality-wise. And to me, it's going to come down. I think they'll make plays early. I think they'll make plays um, throughout the game. Will they make the three conversions on third down? that they need to? Will they pick up pressure when they need to? Can Luden make a spot throw on third and seven to his tight end? You know, can Thomas Tyner catch a screen and take it 12 to convert, you know, a third and nine? You know, those are the things that I'm going to watch. You know, are they going to give up the minimal explosives and make Colorado State, who can do it, can they make them bleed you out and make Nick Stevens put together 10, 12 play drives? You know, if they can do that, then they'll be in position to win the ballgame. But that that and that's where obviously as you guys know that's where they lacked last year. But I don't think the sky would fall if they lost. Colorado State's a, a talented team. Uh, you could argue Colorado State's the best, you know, better than Portland State and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, I could probably make a pretty compelling argument there. So um, yeah, but yeah, who knows? So, I wouldn't expect it to fall apart if they lost. So well, they're starting this year with a with another new quarterback in Jake Luton, who you've mentioned a couple times, and he's a bigger guy. Um, he's got a huge arm. I, I believe they brought him in for a reason because they didn't, quite frankly. I don't think they trusted what was on the roster, and they liked the potential that he showed on the JC level. So now that he's their starting quarterback, I'm just curious from a quarterback's perspective what you're looking for in the first game and the patience factor, how much that's going to play in with Gary Anderson and uh, and Jake Luton. Is it a, well, you struggled in Colorado State, now you got a short leash against Portland State or, or even Minnesota, or is it a go out there, maybe get your buck kicked a little bit. If you win, great. If you lose, learn from it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw two quarterbacks. Um, but I don't. I think it's going to be like you know Daryl Garrettson. Maybe he's the runner of that group, and we'll see. You know, I mean, I think I said that last week on the guy, Different type of body. Um, but I'm a huge Jake Luton fan, and his coach in, in JC Ventura was a guy named Steve, is a guy named Steve Mushagan who was at Pitt right before I got there. So I've got to know Coach Lewis for for a while. And when he talked about him, he said like in the first half of last season in JC, he was he was just trying too hard, and then eventually he just kind of took a breath and uh, just started letting it rip. You know, throughout the back half of the season and i think that um that'll you know that that might happen again you know this is a guy who dreamt of playing major college football left playing college football at a smaller level right to then go to jc to achieve a dream like this now he has it it happens everywhere like i think cliches are a reason because they happen so you're going to come out here you might try too hard on the first drive of the game you know you, you might overthrow a couple guys on go routes if they're open in the you know the first two drives but, but that's the, that's the entire country you know that's going to happen to jalen hurts as much as it's going to happen to jake luden in week one so I think that's all right. I would be blown away if it was a short leash type of scenario. I think that, and Gary said this a bunch, to win in this conference, you've got to have 
unique quarterback play. You know, you have to be able to make uh, all the catalog of throws. And I think since Sean Mannion was there, Jake Luton can can do that. And I think that's a necessary element. I think this team will will probably run the ball. I'm sure they'll try to you know vary their tempos and get their playmakers involved early, and that includes Jake. But I expect him to be. Um, and he's a, to me is a second tier quarterback in the Pac-12 right now because our first tier is really elite, and he's never played. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching him in practice. He moves way better than you think. He kind of reminds me of Justin Herbert. They're, they're very similar body types, uh, except he's just thicker because he's an older guy. And I, I'm pumped for him. I think he's going to rip it. I, I really do. Yeah. I, we just have a couple more questions for you, Yogi. It's great stuff that you're providing right now for the uh, for the damn podcast. Um, I, I We've had you on my radio show because uh, I'm on Monday through Friday, noon to 3 on 1080. And we've had you on a few times just talking Pac-12 in general. I'm just curious, from a guy who covers this conference, we get into debates with listeners sometimes on our text machine about Gary Anderson. And, you know, the people who aren't all in on Gary Anderson are convinced he's this or that, say, well, it's only six wins in two years. Uh, He only had two wins his first year and went winless in conference. What sticks out about Gary Anderson to you from somebody who watches the film and has seen this program for a few years now? Well... Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's big time. If he was at Wisconsin, I believe, uh, for another season and everything happened at USC like it did, he would have been offered the USC job in my eyes. You know, he's he's a big-time head coach. I mean, if Chris Peterson didn't come to the Pac-12, um, he would have been the biggest get, you know, in the last four or five years in this conference at the coaching standpoint. You know, you had that one year with – Moore and Graham and Rich Wright, you had a bunch of new guys, but since then it's kind of been here or there. Um, Gary's, Gary's big, big time. I mean, I'm not the end-all, be-all by any stretch of the imagination in college football, um, but my take on it is that he's as good as anybody um, I've been around. A. B, this team was in a dark place before he got there. I mean, it, whether Mike Riley stayed or he came, they were going to lose. Now, they would have lost probably closer games because of the style of play on offense would have been different. You know, there wouldn't have been as many plays. Defense wouldn't have been on the field as much. But the reality was there, and they weren't a strong team, you know, physically. You know, they just weren't there. So he had to build the thing up, and he built it his way, you know, and he is brutal, truth teller, um, going to let you know his approach, which is the quote, be big time. And if you're not in every area from the classroom on down, you're not going to be a part of it. And I think he's, he, he has this great balance of, uh, it's not players, but being able to talk to players mm-hmm. and tell them the truth, but not be a jerk about it. Just say, Hey, this is kind of where you, this is exactly where you stand. I want you to know that. And when you change, if you change, then your stand will change here because I want you to really thrive. And and I think he comes at it from a positive leadership standpoint. And I think he's a rock star. Uh, I think the job that he's done in terms of, you know, building a new facility uh, amid a team that didn't go to a bowl game you know, is miraculous in terms of recruiting the way that he has with a team that hasn't gone to a bowl game. And this conference has been incredible. You know, you look at some of the athletes they landed. You know, look at just the freshman class. You look at Isaiah Hodgins. This guy's a beast, you know. He was committed to Wazoo as a wideout, and he went. He came to Oregon State as a wideout. You know, like that's that's impressive. When you didn't throw the ball, you had 41 explosive plays all last year. So I, I don't. I think the room for criticism is fair because it's college football, and we criticize. Mm-hmm. But I think 
I think the Oregon State fan base should be really happy and excited and pumped that Gary Anderson uh, still has the desire to coach the level he is and has the desire to do it there. Well, and finally, you know, I, I think I need to ask you kind of a, a USC conference type question because the respect factor from a national perspective for this Pac-12, I'm a Pac-12 junkie, but uh, I can recognize the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC are all conferences people probably put over the Pac-12 from a national title perspective. Will USC break that streak for the Pac-12 this year? Do you think they have that team to, to beat Ohio State, who's incredibly loaded and talented, and Alabama and the likes of those kind of programs? Yeah, look, I think there's three teams that I think have the ability to compete at that level right now, and that's Stanford, which wouldn't surprise me if they won the Pac-12, uh, UW, who is extremely impressive, and they probably have the best road to get there when you look at their schedule and how it's laid out, um, and then SC. You know, and SC, is they're real, man. I mean, I've been around them, you know, for 12 years or so, um, and I think they are they're worthy of the hype because they have the skilled players that are sexy and we want to talk about, but they're built on the middle of the defense. And I just think at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, same thing with UW. They're built on the middle of the defense. Same thing with Stanford with the best secondary in the conference, argue the country. Um, somebody has a chance. Now the challenge is they all play each other. So that's not the greatest of things, but I do think the choices, if they can stay healthy, you know, they lost a safety, Isaiah Polamau, yesterday for the year, who would have helped them. Um, they, that's going to be the thing, because they do go 17 straight weeks, weeks when you go back to training camp. So it won't be easy, but I think that what Clay Helton has done there is um, is really unique in terms of it's not about the, the sizzle in, in L.A. anymore. And, uh, and I think from a student-athlete standpoint, there was a mentality around that the last couple of years. Clay has totally altered that. And these guys, I've watched them, they've put in the work. And like, I really think this defense is, is, it's not the saltiest, as salty as any defense in this conference. Yeah. I think that Echenna Nuosu, uh, remember the name, I think he'll be the player of the year in the conference on defense. He's a beast and will play for a long time. He's going to play in their defensive front. Um, I just think they have all the tools, and where they struggle will be at wide out, but anyone in the country would take their wide outs. They just don't have any experience. So week two, I think, is going to be harder than people think against the Sanford secondary, but other than that, the Trojans will be, you know, they have the opportunity to win every game and, and, you know, win the South. There we go. Anything you want to plug for the listeners out there? Check out the Season of Sam podcast. I think if you don't have to be an SC fan to dig it. I think to get inside the minds of a big-time quarterback, which doesn't really happen um, very often in terms of learning how they learn and how they seek, it's pretty cool. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts. You can check it out. Um, I'll kick it out on all my social. But uh, to learn how Sam Darnold thinks and the questions he asks, I think it will remind us that these are still student-athletes and they're still – uh, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. And um, it's going to be a fun process to watch him kind of go through that throughout the season. There we go. Check it out. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Yogi Roth. There is Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Yogi, thanks for taking some time and joining us, man. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. There we go. Good stuff from Yogi Roth. We'll be back next week. Everybody enjoy game week versus Colorado State. And uh, we'll react and talk to you next week on another edition of the Damn Podcast. <laughs>